0: From 809 Restaurant & Lounge on Dykeman Street in Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air, where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today our artist spotlight focuses on actor, director, producer, and writer Ted Minos. Ted has appeared on stages across the country, but locals are most likely to recognize him from his appearances at the Inwood Shakespeare Festival as Macbeth, Hamlet, Othello, Andrew Aguchik, and many others, Ted is also the founder and producing artist director of the Moose Hall Theatre Company, which presented the Inwood Shakespeare Festival. In 2010, I was there to personally witness Ted being given the Uptown Artstroll Award in recognition of his contributions to the arts in Northern Manhattan. We'll talk to him about that and so much more, but first... Welcome to Inwood Artworks on Air, Ted. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, for the record we're having this conversation in what is now the fifth month of the coronavirus pandemic. New York City is cautiously reopening and streets and shops are gradually coming back to life. So Ted, first things first, how are you and yours and everything going on right now in the past few months? How've they been?
1: We're doing okay, fortunately. It's been a it's been a challenge. No one's ever used that word before, by the way. Uh, So I'll be the first one to say, we've spent a challenging time. But no, it has been, but I've been fortunate. I happen to have a little place, I'm sorry, I have to say I I get away to in Rhode Island from time to time. I didn't intend it to be a getaway uh, in terms of this, but it it, it is sometimes, so that's been nice. But I do spend a lot of time here still with you, your place, and um, in my office on Indian Road. So let's go
0: back to the beginning. You've been part of the theater and art scene here in Inwood in northern Manhattan for two decades, but your journey started in Boston, where you grew up and studied music composition at Berkeley. So how do you go from composing music in Boston to acting and producing Shakespeare in New York City?
1: Well, it depends where you start. So if I'm starting, I'm coming out of high school, I'm going to film school briefly. From film school, I'm actually going to uh, drama school which was uh, Bryant and Stratton, which is basically a business college. But they had a, um, a new program for underachievers like myself at that time coming out of high school, but that showed some predilection in terms of drama, which I warily accepted. My aim, I think, at first was to be another John Lennon or maybe a Stanley Kubrick, which hasn't entirely uh, left my field of hope. But I went there first, and I did find myself going to music again. And uh, I was accepted to Berklee College of Music. And that was quite a turning point. There was a discipline required of a musician in that day and place, especially with uh, that raw jazz music. And it required, not even required, I think everyone was mindset to be the next genius, which was a word that was banded about frequently. And these young people They would work relentlessly, sometimes torturously, to be the best of the best. But in that maelstrom, as a musician, as an instrument player, I wasn't up to it. But as a composer, strangely enough, I could hold my own. But in the midst of that, I still felt compelled to go back to theater. So I found myself becoming an intern with the Boston Repertory Theater Company, which was a burgeoning young company, which produced some very significant people. And, um, over the course of time, became an associate member, which meant I was still putting away the chairs and <laughs> and uh, taking phone calls. but even so, it was a nice appreciation. But I ended up doing some some tech work as well for them, some stage management so from there, I went to England to study acting specifically, and again, that was another turning point. It was a good place in time for me. I think it was a good vector when I knew that was the source point for me. So with those various disciplines in the background, I came to New York. So what did you learn
0: as a composer that informed your later work?
1: Well actually it's still informing my work. I do actually do most of the compositions now for the company through the um, absolute joy of computers. I can do keyboards and I can with practice do one line very well at a time. So. Unlike and not unlike Bach, I'll do one line well and then go back, track, and do the next line, then the next line, and the next line. But it seems, fortunately, melody comes to me fairly easily. Arrangement I will do again and um, improvisation sort of way. But all of that, I suppose it did help it did help acting because it gives you another viewpoint, it gives you another discipline, it gives you another another window to look at things. And I guess for the most part. As a director, you can build. I know I want the high points and the low points, and I could add them myself, the way I truly feel them. They're hard to translate to other people. They're much better musicians than I am, but it's very difficult to translate a feeling, as you should know, you've directed. Uh, As you worked with with Tombstone, you know, you were conveying things to me I didn't understand, but when I would try your specific track, I understood in your production. Same thing. That translation is very... It's very convenient when you can do it yourself. You have a lyricism
0: as a composer. You're saying you find the melody and you find the lines. That definitely has informed, I think, also your love for Shakespeare and the classics. You studied with Patrick Tucker.
1: I studied with Patrick in England. He informed the work of John Basil. And I studied with John Basil and assiduously worked with Shakespeare for at least seven years. And uh, that brought me almost up to 2000 when we started the Inwood Shakespeare Festival here in Inwood because there was nothing else going on in the park at that time. So I figured I might as well start one.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But it also informed your other love for classic stories, too. And you adapted and transposed a lot of the stories uh, like Treasure Island and The Three Musketeers and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. and your, we'll say most recently, I'll be specifically telling those stories on stage, maintaining, in a sense, of that Poetic and lyricism from the source material into the stage productions?
1: Uh, I think it happens at this point, probably unconsciously, um, which is, I think, some of the best you've done it. And some of the motifs I use are probably tried and tested and hopefully true. But the classic work, the early stuff I chose, is probably because they infected or imbued uh, my childhood. They were childhood stories that meant a lot to me, not just I saw them on films, but. I was read to quite a bit as a child. I remember The Little Prince was read to me when I was about four or five years old. So the weight and, and fantasy, I knew would translate universally. So what I did was not just, just do Shakespeare, I'm not saying just for Shakespeare, but I would add that other component of something that I thought would be more universal from the stuff that I was uh, familiar with, be it Arabian Nights or um, Treasure Island, etc. And I think it was successful in drawing people in who were a little bit afraid of Shakespeare, considering it might be stodgy and old and understandable, which it frequently is. But I had enough experience with it to know I could translate it to a very live, open spectrum, which is the park. And it's a spectrum unlike any other spectrum I think you, you can have in this city or any city. My early influence of doing park work was when I lived on the Upper West Side and watching Joe Papp's productions, and as an actor, particularly Raul Julia. The use of a stage outdoors and the demographics outdoors. And the demographics we had in Inwood, or have, or could have, or will have, are very unlike even the Delacorte, because in the Delacorte, you still have conspicuously a group of people, a coterie of people, who are attracted to theater. They know it for the most part, not everyone. It's open to everyone, that's what I love about it. But they generally do know what to expect one way or the other. What I loved up here was that you had a demographic of people who had no idea of theater, plus that group were also educated or also cultural and also naive to the, to the form that they were being introduced to. And it was very successful, particularly in the beginning, first six, seven years or so, Um, Before we started to have, um, not conflict, but we had um, things beginning more complicated out there on the uh, peninsula. And unfortunately, the very core group, I created this theater to represent and serve. In a sense, it put me at odds with that particular group that I was a part of myself, being a person of color, black person of color, black mixed person of color. And that was unfortunate. I do understand... That is also complex on the side of the parks, it's also complex on the side of society, but that was a significant element in drawing it to its hiatus. And I won't say close because life keeps going on. That's right, absolutely. Well,
0: Moose Hall Theatre Company presented 17 seasons of Shakespeare in Inwood Hill Park from 2000 to 2017, before it went on hiatus. Perhaps more than most directors, Ted, you know the many challenges of presenting Theater outdoors in public spaces. When mm-hmm. I say director, I mean as a producer, not just one who orchestrates the show, mm-hmm. the story, the action of the show. So, what is gained in presenting Shakespeare for this community or the classicals, the Musketeers, the the Arabian Nights and Inwood Hill Park.
1: So what is gain for yourself? What is gain for the audience?
0: What is gain is is for the individual artist who's Mm -hmm. getting that experience to be out there. Mm -hmm. What is gain for the audience who's experiencing the story being Mm -hmm. told in that spectrum? Mm -hmm. And also, what you talked about before, that experience being presented in this community for this community.
1: Okay, very good. As an artist, I, I work with many, many actors at this time, and they come from various disciplines But um, you do readily learn that you have to get up and freaking go when you're out in the park. You don't have time to adjust yourself, to wait, to get into the moment. Some try, but more or less, you have to get out there. They learn fast, don't they? You learn fast. It's not like I heard about stepping forth. Wolf, the spit, I'm ready to go. But you do need that. And it's not only needing that. So understand that you can do that. Your preparation can be that quick. And you learn that. Method with experience. And I think it's a muscle builder. It's an intellect builder. It's an emotional builder. It's a a focus builder. Just some of the things, just some of the things in terms of being an actor. You have a directness with the audience unlike any other stage. You're out there, and, and if you're speaking about Shakespeare, it was built for that particular kind of atmosphere. He built it and wrote it and inwardly directed it through his text, for an audience of disparate knowledge and experiences. And that's what's so wonderful about him, almost unlike anyone, unlike even today for the most part, we write and we produce and we cajole and we speak to the choir. He was talking to a plethora of people, and that was, to me, the most striking, marvelous thing about it. And that is what something, out of Shakespeare and out of doing it outside, I... I still hold as an ideal even when I'm back in a traditional venue. But boy does it tell you a lot about keeping people in their seats because the distractions, now we're getting back to doing it outside, the distractions are various and and they come in unexpected times and you have to embrace them and love them, especially we were with trains and sometimes helicopters and the geese and the joggers, and etc. And jet skis. And the jet skis and the music, and later on, the marachi bands. So, <laughs> in the middle of King Lear. It's all true. This in the middle of King Lear. And you can roll with it. It is an experience in and of itself, very different than distinct than anything else. So, yeah, it's beloved by me. It has its place. And especially today, I love the fact that you have so many people of so many different cultures, beliefs, systems, politics, what have you, in the same place, enjoying the same thing, feasting on those same words, finding something for themselves. That's poetry, that's poetry. So I'd say Shakespeare is my mentor and I learned that from the experience. Um, we covered two, I think, out of three, or one and a half. Let's see, what was the third one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to cut the pie in half for you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give you smaller slivers of it as, a, as the, multi, the multicultural community okay. enjoying it. Because you, know, you, you, a- you got the actors. And, and honestly, you kind of said it with the audience. It actually applied as well to the community at that large. That is
1: Inwood. And, well, a number of places being New York City. And that was a great love. And hopefully we can bring that back because that doesn't exist even at Delacorte. That was something to us, I still feel we should build upon. Not just in terms of theater, by the way, and music, et cetera. That platform is, is a marvelous platform. But for theater, it was terrific.
0: Well, since the final, um... ISF production of Two Gentlemen in Verona was in 2017, right? That was the last show we did. 2016. So 16 was the last show? Was that was. That the was, last season, right? That was 16. Uh, the community, thankfully, has been able to still get an occasional local theater fix with contemporary work by those like Up Theatre Company, whose last few years have been produced predominantly in Washington Heights, though. Mm-hmm. Educational theater presentations have been consistent through People's Theater Project, mm-hmm. through that realm, mm-hmm. not at the United Palace or in schools. Yet, there remains a noticeable absence of professional theater in Inwood consistently, Mm -hmm. not only in the park, but in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think it's worthy to point out that you gave the neighborhood that for that amount of time. I see it as as a resident, I'll just say, Mm -hmm. noticeably absent. So why is that? Do you feel professional theater can thrive here?
1: Of course it can thrive. It can thrive absolutely anywhere. And if it can't thrive anywhere in New York City, you're not worthy. You just don't have the salt. So of course it can thrive here. It's the support, and the support comes from various venues. If you're talking out to a theater in the park, then you're talking with the parks department. If you're talking out to a theater, say, in the parking lot, which I remember from the expanded arts days, you're talking about a private business affording you that space. First of all, what you need, as Peter Brook said, you need the space, that's one. And perhaps only when it comes to producing, then, then if you have a, a collective group of artists, you will produce something, you can. but. Having that, having the support, having... It depends on what kind of work you want to do as well. If you want to do Shakespeare, it doesn't always mingle well when people are having a very good time, which they should. It's time and place. I think sometimes it's a definition of time and place. I was actually invited to be where we were on the peninsula. I was invited by the uh, Parks Department to come there. We did a couple of years where you are now in the soccer field, the Gaelic field, and they asked us to come back, and sure enough, we did, and it built a reputation. But it became difficult. So I would say all these things are wonderful when it comes to people coming out and barbecuing and all. But I have always said it is as important as playing baseball, as important as playing basketball, as important of all the other events usually associated with the parks, the sports events, is as vital and important and should be on the front burner to have your Culture, your theater, your music, that should be in the front burner with everything else. And that particular space was a wonderful space. I was asked to move hither and yon, but I knew that was a particularly good space. And that is the one that should be developed for culture in Inwood. Remember, I remember this space since 1985, so I know its potential. In fact, when the storm came, it was more or less spared, except for the headquarters of the parks. (laughs) But we were, we did fine because it was just high enough. As I say, it was a good place. The soccer field will become drenched and will become, at at this point in time, with climate change, it will become drenched. So it was a good format. So what do you need? You need support from all of these vectors, as as well as the community. And if they want it, they have to make their voices known. I think in the last days I made that clear as I could that for me or anyone else to come back, you need the vocal support of the community before you can go forward or you're you're kicking against the goads. Now, we were fortunate. Even when things got difficult, we were doing some of our best work. And we were supported in many ways, fortunately, by the Parks Department, etc. As I say, it's complicated on all sides. But I do insist that that is a good place for the arts. I think we proved, in the terms of our development, that it is, and that's a venue people will come to. And I think the other things are important, too. But time and place. And please... Give the arts its time and place and inward. And then that void will be filled by, not just me, but a plethora of young budding artists who will speak to their day. So that's what I think. There's no void except there's just opportunity waiting to be had.
0: It's all the timing, right? It's all the timing with that opportunity. A lot of things have to be aligned. Mm -hmm. You have to have the resources. You have to have the people who are willing to push the boulder up the hill, so to speak.
1: Uh, Yeah.
0: and, uh, And do the dirty work, roll up their sleeves. Well, it
1: shouldn't be so much of a Sisyphus. It should be that the boulder stays up on the top of the hill. Let's build the mountain.
0: So the question is for our community, who are the people who we can keep that boulder up there, so the people aren't spending their time pushing it up the hill. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the question, I think. Who are those people? And I'm not looking for your names. Who in that community, to fill that void, what is it going to take? And obviously, timing's not in our favor. We never know. Not One never
1: knows.
0: But um, I will say this, though, in the mm-hmm. same breath. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do a theater, you're going to do it outdoors right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, well... If you're going to do it now, I'm not sure even now is a good time for outdoor theater, just for the sense of um, rehearsing people and making sure they're safe and sound and the audience is safe and sound. What it is with me is it's a big responsibility. So I can see why someone doesn't just want to jump in on a good day and a great venue. But considering with the challenges, I'm not surprised that people haven't jumped in the last couple of years. And that would only be 2017 and 2018. It was open. I'm sure the permits could have been requested, but... The challenges are formidable at best, and they will always be formidable at best. So you have to be a particular kind of a person to want to do that. It has to nourish you. Fortunately, it nourished me. I had a great partner when it comes to the outdoor theater, my wife who passed away. She was a fantastic partner, and I had a lot to do with the feeling of the organization as well as just physically putting it up. So things have changed too. But it doesn't mean it. there's not a new day and that there's not a new group of people because that's life. It renews. And sure, there can be a renewal. And sure, you don't know if this is a catalyst to something more challenging or a catalyst to something significantly open and surprisingly good. One doesn't know. Things turn on a dime. History Art, everything.
0: We'll read about it in the funny papers, as they say, when when it it all happens behind us, right? Well,
1: in the funny computer. Well, exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Online.
0: Online, our zeros and ones will take take us there. Well, it's a strange time right now. Shops and restaurants are partially open here in New York City at the moment and around the country. But it looks like it's going to be some time before we'll see live theater in a traditional sense. But as both an actor and a producing director of the theater company, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about the future?
1: Well, in this climate... There'll be wary productions, I'll say. I heard there's, there's actually an equity production in somewhere going Up on. Up in Barrington, there's going Barrington, to be one, yeah. Right. So there'll be wary productions, and which is a great thing. I think very important that people have the courage to do so, and I'm sure the audience will appreciate it. They'll be glad to come in with their families, or friends and lovers to listen to music or to see some live drama. So it will out. Nothing will stop theatre from coming back. I think these new challenges will give it new nuances when we do come back. I had to reschedule my show. I was going to do the Chariorka at the 13th Street Theater this December, and I, I feel that's not likely. So um, it is rescheduled. It's rescheduled for 2021 in December. In the same spot. In the there same you go. spot, the 13th Street Theater, which is gamefully going on, which is... Wonderful a that space has discussion been around. today with Joe Batista.
0: It'll be that space and the cockroaches at the end of the world.
1: Well, you know, let's hear it for the cockroaches <laughs> and the artists then, okay?
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's one of those wonderful spaces that still exist for smaller companies like yours mm-hmm. who are able to actually keep creating mm-hmm. and not being burdened by a
1: lot of the- They're quite optimistic about being around, which is phenomenal.
0: In this climate, we've lost so many spaces. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's particularly heartwarming to hear that's going to be around for a couple of years. So
1: we should talk about next summer yeah. There we
0: go. We, need to, we, we should. should. Give it a chat. We should, absolutely, because opportunity, right? Opportunity. the opportunity. Now, you're
1: doing a marvelous job, say this publicly, you're doing a marvelous job out there with, with the film and the and the music and the dance that you're introducing in the last couple of years. I thought that was marvelous and wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you
0: so much. Appreciate it. For those of you who didn't know this, I've worked with Ted for years at the Shakespeare Festival and Moose Hall Theatre Company, back to 2005, actually. I think it's worth listeners bearing to note that this community, I feel, owes a debt of gratitude to Ted Minos and Catherine Bruce and the family and all those—I'll say that—that that core group, so to speak, we spoke of, who have spent their time and donated their their spirit to bringing live performance to the peninsula and and Inwood. We're venue challenged. There's not a performing arts center. There's no local union house that you can actually rent out and put up a show. You have to be creative. And a lot of companies have been very creative, like I said, up theater companies, been able to rent a few spaces here in the neighborhood and have done a few things. Pied Piper had their own, out of a church for years, a Holy Trinity. There's been a lot of great groups putting their nose Mm -hmm. in the grindstone, but getting back to something you said earlier about that boulder staying at the top of the hill, Mm -hmm. that would be a dedicated performing arts space. Yes, it would. And that would either be a bricks and mortar
1: or possibly in the park. I think of something, it could be mobile. We did discuss that. I think that's the necessity yeah. to have something dedicated on the peninsula. That, I think, is essential, and I think that would benefit everyone. It's not, it's not for one one group. When it comes to theater, I think the disparaging things that were said, unfortunately, was that it was a cultural divide, and it's anything but. And, of course, I created it for, you could say, inner city. And um, it shouldn't be there. That onus has to be gone. When you're talking about support, that onus has to be erased to get even more support than we had before. I did productions in Spanish. I did uh, Calderón de la Baca, Life is a Dream in Spanish. Very few people were doing that in the park back in 2002. Um, I did a bilingual production of the life of Emilio Zapata. We were always striving to bring in other cultures, languages, not just Spanish, other languages and cultures. And I think that's vital. There should be no divide. I think we all learn from all the other cultures. We all should participate in all the other cultures. I had no choice. I'm mixed um, racially and culturally. But I think it's a good thing. And I think that's a good thing to strive for in theater.
0: I think it's a great thing to strive for as well. Ted, there's so much we didn't get a chance to talk about. But if they want to find out more about you and more about Moose Hall, where can you send them?
1: Well, the easiest website to remember is inwardshakespearefestival.com.
0: Well, thank you so much. Listeners, as always, we'll have those links up for you at inwoodartworks.nyc. I want to thank you, Ted. Thank you. For joining me here on this artist spotlight edition of Inwood Artworks On Air, where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Uh, Tremendous thanks for all our friends here at 809 Restaurant and Lounge here in Inwood, NYC for hosting us, and to heightsites.com for local uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. You can support On Air and all our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc slash donate. Inwood Artworks On Air is made possible with funding from NYC and Company Foundation with support from Manhattan Borough President Gil Brewer and the NISCA Electronic Media and Film Grant Program in partnership with Wave Farm Media Arts Assistance Fund and the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature. Thank you again for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks
1: On Air.